I'm very excited, really, as we continue to share God's Word here in this new building. It's just really exciting for me to be here today. We're going to continue. I see some new faces, some new families, so I just want to kind of explain that we're going to continue through the Gospels. And I've been teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but chronologically through the passages. So week after week, we're walking alongside Jesus and the disciples through the study of his word. So we have the four Gospels, and we're walking through that. So sometimes as we go through it, there might be the story may be in multiple Gospels, but we'll pick one and then use the other Gospels to study. So for those that were here two weeks ago, we had just finished up the Sermon on the Mount, which was an amazing series that we went through. Christian actually had shared the last message on that. I don't know those that were here. It was in Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 29. And he had titled the message, A Decision to Make. I don't know those that remember that. He gave us a challenge. For the last two weeks, it has been on my heart, this challenge that Christian gave us. He asked each of us, well, we serve Jesus without reservation. And that's been on my heart. He also asked each of us, are we holding anything back as we serve Jesus? Then the question, will we serve Jesus at any cost, even to the point of our lives, given our lives for serving Jesus? Then the message was concluded. We were given a warning, a warning about false teachers. Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 16, it said, Who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. So again, it was a warning. Are we each aware of that as we're out in the world, that there are false teachers out there, but we can recognize them through their fruit? And we are to do that. We're to be fruit inspectors. So then, as we close the Sermon on the Mount, this series that we went through like for two and a half months, it ended with a promise. A promise that each of us, as children of God, would be able to stand firm against all the different storms that we each will face, that was a wonderful testimony that we just heard. Lots of different things happened. Personal sickness, death. Yet we were able to stand through them storms. And it was a storm she was walking through, but God was with her the whole way. And that's a promise that we had. And the reason we have that promise is because of our faith. Our faith and the foundation of God's word. So again, I just uh, I think all that kind of went through that series the last kind of two and a half months. I pray the Holy Spirit used it to help us all learn more about who we are and who God is and who we are to be as Christians. This takes us to last week, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. We celebrated Jesus. We celebrated the resurrection. We celebrated the victory that Jesus gives each one of us over sin, over death. And then I went through and I explained it and we looked at the gospel message or the good news. And I want to look at that just real quick before we move on to today's message. There's a lot of new people around. What is the good news? What is the gospel message? The first part of that is knowing who we are, knowing that each of us have sinned, and knowing that we have all sinned, we know there's a price for sin. That price is death. But we have hope, don't we? We talked about this last week, because he is alive. He is resurrected. And Jesus came, and he paid the price for each and every one of our sins. He took upon himself, and then he was resurrected. And through that resurrection, 
through him defeating sin and death, we join in that. We join in this victory when we place our faith in Jesus. Again, it was just Easter. So now, we as Christians, we of those that have placed our faith in Jesus, we've had our sins forgiven, we have defeated sin and death, we have inherited eternal life, but now, I asked last week, how is the resurrection being walked out in your life each and every day? Are you living that victory each and every day? Are you living in the gifts of the Holy Spirit each and every day? Are you living in victory over sin each and every day? I'd like to turn at your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke in just a minute. Turn to 2 Corinthians, though. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Still going back to Resurrection Sunday here a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So that's us now, right? We go out. So again, I asked this last week, but I felt I need to really touch on it again. Are each of us living a life free from sin, the power of sin? Are each of us living a life that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit? Are you seeing the gifts exhibited in your lives? Can you, are you seeing the gifts being used to go out and fulfill that calling that God has placed on your life? you see that? If you have any questions of what it is to be a Christian, or if you have any questions of what it is to be a Christian and experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit, come talk to me afterwards. I would love to have a discussion with you because I think there's many people even here that have not accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, but there's also a lot of Christians here that are not walking in the resurrection, walking in the victory, and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and seeing the gifts manifested in their lives. And I'd love to pray with you and talk to you about that. And that's just on my heart as I begin today's message. Because I think there's a lot of defeated Christians out there that are, maybe they've placed their faith in Jesus, but they're not walking as God would have them. So please, grab me afterwards, or one of the elders. Let us pray over you, and we can discuss that with you. So today, we're going to pick back up in Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. And we're going to pick up with Jesus heading back to kind of his home for the time being. So if you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 7, verse 1. If you need a Bible, let me know. We've got a few Bibles back there. If anyone needs a Bible, we can grab you one. Just raise your hand. We can grab one. Everyone's got one? All right. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. I'm going to stop right there. Jesus has closed up this message that he had been given. And he's heading now back to his home, Capernaum. Now, we know this is where most of Jesus' ministry took place in Galilee, in that area. And I think of this picture of the disciples and Jesus heading back after this extended time of teaching. We know the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain. Could you imagine how excited they were walking back to their hometown after just sitting under this extended teaching? I don't know about you. I mean, 
I think of this for myself. I always like to try to place myself in these stories. And I, I think of this had to have been kind of like what we would mean in a modern day, kind of like a Bible conference. You know, maybe many of you used, we used to have these Bible conferences before COVID, didn't we? We would go for an extended weekend or a week, maybe during the week, kind of Monday through Friday. And we would just go sit under solid biblical teaching for a week and meet with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and be refreshed and renewed and ready to go out and serve God in different ways. And I imagine, in some way, this would have been like what it was like for the disciples and Jesus as they headed back towards their hometown after they had just sat under that entire teaching. You know, have many of you experienced that? Many of you been to conferences? And after the conference, you head back to your home or to your home church or to your wherever you're going, and you're excited. You're refreshed. You're wanting to share the Word of God. You're excited to go share the good news about Jesus. That's what conferences should do, right? By the way, we're praying right now, trying to get the conference back here in Chiang Mai. Um, we heard the restrictions kind of got lightened up here even recently, so we are working with Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa very intently right now, trying to get that restarted. So pray for that as a prayer request. I'd love to see the conference uh, going again. We used to have it at Horizon um, Resort, and we are definitely looking at doing that. I have some meetings very soon here in Costa Mesa, actually. So we're praying about that, and that'd be exciting. And we would host that now. Isn't that something else, huh? We would actually host that. So let's read and continue in the passages, and let's see what's going to take place as Jesus, and I'm sure these very excited disciples, head back towards their home. Verses 2 through 5. At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, they said, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. Now, we're going to get into this story and it's going to unfold here, but I have a question for you. We saw the title of the message, Jesus is Amazed. So I'm going to ask you a question. If I, just say if I were to really get to know each one of you, and I got to really know you really well, what would amaze me about your life? What would I be like, wow, that's amazing as I got to know you? Maybe if you got to know me, what would amaze you about my life as you got to know me. Now, interesting as I ask this, because we know, most of us know this story, but what would Jesus be amazed about your life? Would it be how much works you do here in Thailand? How many hungry children you feed? How many villages you go to? Would it be how educated you are? Would it be how much you give, what would amaze Jesus in your life? Maybe he'd be amazed what you're looking at on your phones or what you're watching on TV or maybe something else. It can go both ways, I guess. But my question is, we know this story. What would amaze Jesus in our life? What is Jesus looking for in each of our lives? So let's look at this as this story starts to unfold. So we know Jesus is heading back. And that some messengers now, as we saw in the text, come 
And they were sent to Jesus to ask Jesus if he could perform a miracle and heal this man. As we read in the text, we see that this man obviously was, he says he was near death. Then we know it's this Roman officer that is asking Jesus, sent these messengers to ask Jesus to perform this miracle. So obviously, this Roman officer had the means, right? He had finances, obviously. He had the capability to call doctors. He had the ability to get medicine. He had lots of means that maybe others would not have. But whatever worldly means this man had, which was way more than most people, he was not able to come up with a way to heal this man, which he obviously cared about. So it says, in the text, it says, the man has now heard about Jesus. He's heard about the miraculous things that Jesus had been doing, obviously about the miracles that are already taking place. Now, it doesn't say that this man ever witnessed these things firsthand. It strictly says that he had heard the testimony of who Jesus was and the things that he had done. I think that's important for all of us, isn't it? Hearing about Jesus, he then has sent these highly respected Jewish elders, these Jewish men, to now come to Jesus to meet up with him and plead with Jesus, say, come, please, come, heal this man. These Jewish men, they now have found Jesus, and they have explained to Jesus that they believed this Roman officer, he was worthy, they say. Jesus, this man is worthy to receive your blessings. He's worthy to have this miracle performed to heal this man, this slave of his, this servant of his. And they even gave some examples, didn't they, of how they felt this man was worthy to receive this blessing from Jesus. What do you think? What do you think Jesus will do? I mean, I know you know the story, but think about it. Will he heal this man because of the testimony of these Jewish leaders of how this Roman official loves the Jewish people? Will Jesus heal this man because of this? What would persuade Jesus to do this miracle, to heal this man? What do you think would do that? What would persuade Jesus? Obviously, the Jewish leaders, they believed that this Roman official was worthy. But what would Jesus find so amazing about the man that would cause him to heal him? It always comes back to the question I have for all of us, right? What about you and I? What would Jesus find in us that he would be amazed? What about our own lives as we look at this story? Again, is it our works that we do that Jesus says, wow, that's amazing, all them good works you do. That's amazing. You go and educate these children. You go bring medicine to these children. You go and you go into extreme situations that are just, you know, you're putting your life at risk and doing this. Is that what would amaze Jesus, our works? I think it's something else. I think we all know it's something else that Jesus seeks. Let's continue and read and see what's going to take place. Let's look at verses 6 through 8. So Jesus went with them. But just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my house, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if they say, if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. So Jesus now has taken action 
responded to this and starts to head to this man's home where this sick man was. It would seem to me that as Jesus was heading there, somehow, we're not sure exactly how this all took place, somehow this Roman official has heard now that Jesus was coming. Maybe someone ran ahead. I'm not really sure how it exactly worked, but now as Jesus is almost there, another person has been coming back to deliver another message from this Roman official to speak to Jesus. Now, I love this. If you look at verse 6, as he begins to relay this message, how does he start the message? What is he, the word he uses? He uses the word Lord. I love this. I think we start to begin to see part of what really did amaze Jesus. We know it's going to be faith, but it starts with this word Lord. It's how this man, this Roman authority, this official comes before Jesus. He refers to him as Lord. This is amazing. So you think about the word Lord. We use it, right? And I always, I'm always preaching. There's a lot of people that would tell you the gospel message. I just shared it. A lot of people that would say they believe the gospel message. But is Jesus really your Lord? I think it's a difference. What, is the t- what does Lord mean? I, I looked it up. It's defined as a title of honor expressive of respect and reverence with which servants greet their master. Is that who Jesus is to you, your Lord? Because this Roman official, who was head of many men, is now referring to Jesus as Lord. This man, he continues in these verses 6 through 8 by saying he isn't even worthy of meeting or being before Jesus. Now, I believe there's some cultural aspects that we know We've read it before in the Bible. For a Jewish person to go into a Gentile home, we know that, right? But I don't really think this is what this is about. I think this is about the Roman officer realizing how humble he is in coming before Jesus. Knowing that Jesus is Lord. So in some form or another, we don't know the rest of the backstory, right? We know he heard about Jesus. And then he calls to Jesus. And then he calls him Lord, but in some form or another, he had faith. He believed in who Jesus was. And it reminds me, as we've been talking even recently about prayer, do we understand what a privilege, a true privilege it is to become before our King Jesus? We come before him in prayer. We're coming before him today in worship through the study of his word. It's amazing that each of us are invited to come before Jesus in humility. But then when we come before him, do we come before Jesus in a way that to really present ourselves before him? That's what this man is doing, I believe. He's like, I'm not even worthy. This man wouldn't, he just believed this. I don't know how, you know, if it's the Holy Spirit working or what had taken place. But he, some which way, had a faith that would amaze Jesus. He even, and then, Getting into the faith, as you continue to look at 6 through 8, he says that if Jesus would will something or say something, just as he would command his men under his authority, it's the same for Jesus. He says if Jesus says something, it's done. He's clearly explaining to us, and we can learn from this, that Jesus has authority. He has authority over sickness. 
This man believed this, and we know this to be true. We just heard from Kong Lee that testimony. Jesus has authority over sickness. He has authority over death. And that if when Jesus' words are spoken, it must be done. It's amazing. When we read our Bibles, God's word, do we have the same faith, the same belief as this man has? When we read the word of God, do we have that same heart that he has? That if God's word says it is, then it's true without question. I know as I hear some people, you know, you read a lot through some of these miracles and these things that have taken place. And uh, Christian was talking about uh, the ark and uh, the animals getting on the ark earlier. And that's what they're teaching right now in children's ministry right now. Do we read these stories in the Bible and just believe they're true in faith? I don't think apologetics are bad. It's wonderful to dig in and learn about that. But do we just simply believe because it's God's word, it's true? I came to a place in my faith that I read it, I believe it, I know it's true because it's God's word. This is what I see here. So as we think about this, do we believe in Jesus and his word and his authority as this man does? Let's see how Jesus is going to respond to this man's faith. In verses 9 and 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Jesus had listened to this man, and then we see through this man's faith a lesson for all of us. I want to turn back to Matthew. Matthew has this account. I want to turn back to Matthew, chapter 8. He gives a little more detail on this particular couple of verses. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10 through 11. It says, When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, And sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, for those the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the faith. So many lessons as we read these passages that we can learn from this story. We first, we see a man who was an authority figure, a very high, respected authority figure. Um, He was even respected by... These Jewish leaders, who in reality, you think about, probably shouldn't have liked him. So he was even respected by the Jewish people. We see that this man, this, this uh, Roman official, we see that he was a generous man. He had given to those, even those that he had ruled over. He was a generous man. We see that his request that he had come before Jesus for wasn't even for himself, was it? He hadn't made this request to Jesus for himself, but he made this request For another person to be healed. So as you read this story and we look at this, it would seem that if anyone maybe was deserving to receive this blessing from Jesus, it would be him, right? This guy was an amazing guy if you read this. But yet, none of these men's actions are what moved Jesus. That's not what amazed Jesus, was it? It was his faith. It was this man's faith that moved Jesus. It was this man's faith that made Jesus amazed. This man believed if Jesus spoke, if he willed it, it was done. That was the kind of faith he had. I want to share a quote from Chuck Smith. 
We can't come based on our worthiness because of what we have done. We must approach him in our unworthiness and in submission to his authority. When we do that, we are walking in faith. I also want to look at a verse in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, 2, 8, and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Again, it's faith. That's what amazed Jesus. That's what moved Jesus. Jesus is looking for faithful servants. He's not looking for how smart we are or what we've done or what we haven't done. He's looking for us to come before him in humility and come before him in faith. That is what Jesus finds amazing in our lives. We put so many things, other things on it, don't we? He wants faithful, humble servants. And that's what he saw in this Roman official. That's what we see. So now, let's continue in Luke chapter 7 and see what's going to take place next in verse 11. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went with the disciples to the village of Nan, and a large crowd followed him. So after this amazing story of faith, Jesus then heads out again to minister. And on the way, something amazing is going to happen, isn't it? Now, I see a lesson already taking place here for all of us. Already, I see a lesson. Because we know that a miracle is going to take place. But what are Jesus and the disciples doing beforehand, before they witnessed this miracle? What were they doing? They were going out. They were being faithful to go out and share the hope of Jesus. They were going out, and, you know, we just heard, we were just praying over people going to a village to go share the gospel. We see, again, this example that disciples from Jesus, as they go out in obedience to share the hope that can be through faith in Jesus, that often as we are busy about fulfilling that calling, then, as we are being faithful, we are privileged to see Jesus do a miraculous work. It usually doesn't happen the other way around. When we are being faithful to be obedient and go out there and share the gospel, very often sometimes we are privileged to see miraculous works that Jesus is doing. So let's continue and see what's going to happen here in 12 through 15. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. Verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Can you imagine this taking place? Jesus and the disciples, they have just came upon a very interesting, difficult situation, haven't they? Can you imagine setting out to go to a village? Many of you guys do that. I know personally many of you that do that. You, you set out, you're going to go share Jesus, you're going to do this outreach, you're excited, you've prayed about it, you're heading out. And as you arrive to this village, as you're pulling up, a funeral is taking place. You've come to share the hope of Jesus. And the opportunity that each of them could have to have eternal life through faith in Jesus. And a funeral is taking place. A young boy has died. Can you imagine that taking place? 
And as you arrive, you see this taking place and you learn. And you see this mother that's grieving. Her son has died. Then you learn more details from others. You learn that she is a widow. Then you learn this was her only son from her dead husband. Can you imagine? You just put this in perspective, what's taking place in this story. Now realize, this isn't just a story, is it? This is real events that took place. You can imagine this taking place. But here in this story, we're going to learn some amazing truths, aren't we? We're going to learn more about the one who we call Lord Jesus. We're going to learn a little bit more about the character of who Jesus is. As I said, Jesus in the previous story is seeking us to come before him, calling on him as Lord, coming to him in humility, coming to him in faith. But now we learn about who he is a little bit in this story. I think they tie together so nicely. Because before I might come to Jesus, come in faith, but now we get to learn about the, man, the God that we come before. So what will be Jesus' reaction to this woman? What is Jesus' reaction to each one of us as we face grief, as we face hurt, as we each live in this fallen world, as we face all the troubles of this world? What will be Jesus' reaction? The one that we call upon as Lord, the one who we have placed our faith in. Who is this resurrected Jesus in this story that we have surrendered our lives to? Who is this Jesus that we offer ourselves daily as a living sacrifice? Let's read verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. This is the Jesus that we serve. Jesus saw this woman's pain saw her grief. He, see each, he sees each and every one of our pain. And in this story, it says he was overflowed with compassion. We have that same relationship with Jesus today. This is a personal relationship we have with him. What do you think it is, compassion, as he says, Jesus was overflowed with compassion? What does compassion mean? Warren Worsby says, compassion has been defined as your pain in my heart. What pain our Lord must have felt as he ministered from place to place. This is the Jesus we serve. Our God, Jesus, loves us, and he knows each one of us intimately. And his heart overflows for each of us, just as this woman with compassion. This is, again, this is the one that we have placed our faith in. It's important. So Jesus, in this story, we see that he feels this mother's pain, and then we know He heals the boy. He brings the boy back to life. I just love to see this truth knowing who God is. Because I think so often it's not personal, but it's very personal. Very personal. He was overflowing with compassion because of his love for each one of us, for this woman. You know, his love was so overflowing, we know that Jesus gave his very life. What greater price than that? If you think about compassion... What greater love is there to give than to give one's life? He gave his life for each and every one of you so that each of us then can experience a new life. We are born again. And then we inherit the kingdom of God, the place that we will no longer experience these things that they were experiencing. No more death, no more pain, no more tears. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is who we have placed our faith in, a God that loves us, and has proved it to each of us by dying on the cross in our place. He's proved it. You know, you think about it. There's a lot of so-called gods out there, isn't there? So-called gods. What other gods, so-called, little g, 
has laid down their life in compassion for you and given his life for you. Who else has given you the gift through his life that you would never have to experience pain, that you would have eternal life in heaven? It's only Jesus. Only Jesus has done this. And through faith in him, we receive this gift of eternal life. Let's look at these last two verses for today. In Luke, that is. Luke 16 and 17. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. The reaction of the people. We see the reaction. You look back at the verse, first thing I see is fear. I could see fear. I mean, the guy just was dead, and now he's alive. I mean, might cause some fear. But then what do we see? Next thing, we see worship. Praise the Lord. We see worship. Then we see a proclamation. If you look at it, he says, A mighty prophet has risen among us, a proclamation of who Jesus is. And then it continues, as it says, The news about Jesus spread, so now then we see the testimony of Jesus and what he had done. So I see these four things. So it's kind of the message, isn't it? First there is fear, worship, a proclamation, and then a testimony. So we can learn a lot of lessons from today's passages. A reminder that we can see this Roman official and remember that just as he had the heart of knowing that he was not worthy, knowing that he was a sinner, knowing that today, through Jesus, though, we can come before Jesus. We are Through him, we are worthy before our king, and we can praise him. And he has compassion on each and every one of us in all the situations taking place in our life today. And he is the one who saves us from sin and death. But then we're saved. But Jesus then comes into our hearts. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. He empowers us then to go out and blesses us with different giftings and anointings to go out and fulfill the calling on our lives. After being empowered, we go out and we share the good news of Jesus. We go out and share the one that we call upon in faith loves each one of us and has compassion on each one of us. So I've been blessed as I studied through these passages this week, reminding me that Jesus, he loves us. And he, doesn't, he isn't seeking our works or what we've done or what we haven't done. What he's seeking in us and what amazes him in each one of us is our faith. He's looking for faith, faithful servants. Again, I was also reminded that Jesus knows each one of us personally. He knows what's on our hearts. He knows the different pain that we experience. He understands the grief that we've experienced. And he's moved with compassion for each and every one of us. This is the God that we serve. It's true. We have to walk through some very difficult times and situations as we walk out here on earth. There's difficult times. We're going to face some extremely difficult times. We're not alone. We are not alone. Jesus is with us, and he promises us hope. He gives us eternal hope that one day we will experience heaven with him, that place that we will only know his love forever. So each and every day, as I think about this, I'm just more and more amazed myself of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. That's what amazes me, that Jesus would do this for me and me alone. And I pray that Jesus would look at me and be amazed that my faith in him is great. What is Jesus amazed about in your own lives? It's a real question. 
If Jesus was to look at you, examine your life, what would amaze him? Is it sin? Wow. Or is it your faith? Is it your works? Or is it your faith? Is it your education or your bank account? Or is it your faith? What in your life would amaze Jesus? Do we come before him humbly each and every day and just answer in and say, here I am? Or is there something else that Jesus would look at? I want to close with a few scriptures from Hebrews. Let's close this passage as we're looking at Hebrews 11.6. And it is impossible, read that again, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It goes through the whole patriarchs of faith. Then we're going to go right over just to Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this message through your word, Lord. I just pray that each of us, Lord, would really take a deep examination, Lord, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, Lord, what would amaze you in each of one of our lives, Lord. Is it our humble faith, as we saw in the text today? As we come before the God that has compassion on each and every one of us, Lord, that loves each and every one of us so much, that has so much compassion, Lord, that he would take our place, Lord, on the cross, paying our price, Lord, taking our sin debt. So, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that each of us, Lord, would just really look at that and look if we are truly walking in faith or is there something in our lives that we're holding back? Or, Lord, is there something even worse? Is there something else that would amaze you besides our faith, Lord? So, Lord, I just pray today, Lord, that we would just be men of faith as we see these great patriarchs of faith in Hebrews. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we would have a testimony, Lord, that above all other things, Lord, we would just believe. We would read your word, and we would believe. You would speak to us, Lord, and we would walk in just faith, Lord, a faith that would be amazing like this man here, and know that we just love you so much, Lord. And we thank you for your compassion, Lord. We thank you for your promises, Lord, that what you've done for us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that each one of us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, would just be empowered to walk in a way, Lord, that testimonies would be talked about for years of the faithfulness in our lives. So, Lord, I praise you and I thank you, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen.